0: and you've met with four widowers or something like that, you know, they all, they all look the same. <laughs> and they're all named Betty, you know, they're all named Betty. <laughs> they all start getting intermixed. All
1: right, well, hello everyone. We have Carrie, the mortician, the infamous YouTube sensation. Uh, you could find her on YouTube at Carrie the Mortician. You've probably seen all of her amazing videos that she puts out. Uh, she's currently putting out these really nice two-minute clips. I don't know, Carrie, if you're going to keep going down that trend, but I think it's such a nice thing for people yeah. outside the industry and inside the industry. It's um, you got some helpful stuff, and you really do like a jack-of-all-trades. So we'd love to hear uh, yeah. how you got started and kind of what your story is and how you got to where you are today.
0: Oh my. So, um, I mean, I started in the business when I was 16 and needed a job in the funeral, you know, just a job. And my mom was an aftercare coordinator and she's like, why don't you just work at the funeral home? So I did the four to nine shift during the weeks, you know, some evenings. And then that was back when we had pagers and we needed to let the small town funeral directors go have a life for a little bit. So we did the nine to three and then a three to nine shift. Saturdays and Sundays at the funeral home because you got to let people go and somebody has to cover the phones. So um, I would work Saturday and Sunday, a six hour each day. And that's just what I did all through high school, summers in college, and just kind of cultivated, I think, a love and a comfort for the business and mm-hmm. curiosity. And I don't think I ever recognized it. It was my mom who said, why don't you try being a funeral director, you know, junior year of college when... <laughs> I was studying psychology at a small liberal arts college and spending way too money doing that, too much money doing that. And I didn't know which path I wanted to go. And everything I wanted to do was like eight more years of college, which seemed like the most horrible thing ever. And tried it and about two weeks into my apprenticeship, I was hooked. So then I went to more choice school after I got my psych degree and went to Cincinnati. And um, yeah, the rest is history. I've been licensed twenty years now, so Yeah. A lifetime. It feels like it's crazy. I think
1: that psychology background is super, super helpful when you're, when you're aiding the families there, I would imagine.
0: You know, you like to think it is, um, (laughs) it's some of it, you can't train, you know, some of the way of thinking about and talking to people, you just can't train. I think some of it's just ingrained and not ingrained. Even Mm -hmm. if you had a uh, doctorate in psychology, you may still not be really even great at talking with families, but you can analyze yeah. them all to death, but you may not be able to um, yeah do it so
1: it's such a special thing, and I think honestly, it comes across in your videos you have such a kind, caring voice, honestly, uh-huh. and that's that's sometimes what people really need to hear is just have someone to lean on. I think it's so important and you still have people that are a little too harsh and brash and they don't absorb themselves like, hey, this is a big deal for someone. And I think every time either you're making arrangements or taking on a funeral, or even if you're in the prep room, honestly, you have to be like, all right, this is something very special, very important to someone. And if you look at it from that mindset, I think it just makes a world of difference and it kind of helps you have a better outlook on everything, in my opinion.
0: Oh, for sure. And I think that we do lose sight of, the actual actions that we're doing sometimes throughout what we're doing, especially in a high volume funeral home. Um, the one I'm primarily yep. at does about 900 to a thousand calls a year. I mean, oh, you get goodness. into almost factory mode where you're just hammering through and sometimes you get lost in the actions and not in the loss and the emotions and everything behind what you're doing. And you have mm-hmm. to almost step yourself back and go, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. You know, like I've got to remember this, is this is someone's loved one. It's not just another body I have to dress or, you know, this is this family, I have to stop and do this. I think when you're in a smaller town, when you're doing, you know, 150 a year, it's easier to focus on that. Um But it is, you, you do get lost in it sometime. And, you know, our heads are not always clear. Everything in our lives is not sunshine and roses. And so if we're having a bad day, it, it's hard to give what's left of ourselves to families. But yeah, sure. so we do our best. I think, I, guess. I think
1: it is, especially, I mean, I'm from like a smaller family funeral home. So we're around like 250 or 300. So okay. kind of like that in between. But I think when you're in a large art facility like that, it's just such a grind and you're trying to get through, trying to get the next thing done. It's just chaos. Right. It's got to be so hard to kind of focus up, I would imagine.
0: It is. Well, and it's hard because you can't take a lot of time with any one family Like you would want to do in smaller towns. I mean, I will do all sorts of crazy things and go get little something for the family or, you know, have extra little something at visitation. But I may only meet with a family and never see them again. I may never see them for visitation, for funeral, for first view, for anything. And so you don't get that really close connection with families by going on the removal, doing the prep, doing the arrangement, and following them through. And I do miss that more because you don't you don't out of necessity get that with a larger funeral home because it's so compartmentalized because it has to be.
1: Yeah. And there's no other way to do it. You couldn't possibly imagine someone making arrangements with 15 families and like trying to go on the removals no. and be with them on the funerals it just so when no. you're so you do a lot of a trade work i know and you're primarily kind of at one funeral home is that correct
0: um primarily and i work at the one primarily doing arrangements and working with the families right. and i can i feel like i balance a lot of families well for the most part so i can handle a large volume that way where some directors get frazzled if they're meeting with two families a day where I'll handle three or four if I need to or something and other people are more comfortable in other areas. So I think you have to find your best skill set when you're in that large of a funeral home Mm -hmm. and you just have to go with it. It doesn't matter what you might like to do always, but you find your best skill set and kind of go with it. So,
1: Yeah, kind of double down on like what area you're most proficient at, I would say. Right. Do you have any tips for our funeral directors? So let's say you are meeting with three or four families a day. How do you do that? How do you keep people straight? How do you keep everything organized in your own mind from a paperwork standpoint? What is the best way to go about that if you have a day like that where you're meeting with four families or something?
0: Well, and I think it's so crucial that you find what works best for you because you could go to work for a funeral home and they try and tell you everything you need to do, but it may not be what works best. It's like every kid learning in, in, you know, middle school, every kid doesn't learn the same way. And so when you force upon someone your way of doing something, it it may not lead to the best results from them. So I am like right now we use Kraken um, and I like Kraken because of the checklists and because of the note section. And I think it's a really good efficient system that you can gear towards all the directors in one program. But I am a checklist person. I don't like paperwork on my desk. So I like to go through that paperwork and I kind of have my own system of how to do it where other directors have other ways of doing it. But I don't like to keep files. I don't like paperwork. What I know, and I think it's doing the freelance, where I would go in and cover funeral homes and then have to leave after two, three days. What's in my head cannot just go with me. It has to be there and it has to be there for the director. So I'm a note taker. I'm a task list doer. Mm -hmm. And I work efficiently in that way. And when I'm making arrangements, I'm always almost doing two or three things where... I'm, you know, when I go in to make phone calls, I'm starting to type up the obituary. Mm -hmm. Not everybody works multitasking, but I, I almost work better if I have two or three balls in the air as opposed to one. Where I get well, you are a funeral
1: distracted. director, so I think it's implied you need
0: to. You have to. When I think my ADD brain, like if I'm only dealing with one ball, I'm thinking of my grocery list or I'm thinking of what yeah. I have to do later, where if I have two balls, I'm super work-focused. And so I almost have to have a few more things going at one time sure. to, to work the best. But I think knowing how each director in your funeral home functions the best is so critical and having a communication with everybody in a central system and a calendar that works well. Those things are so critical to funeral homes, big or small.
1: Yeah. And I think the way you do it and just being meticulous about putting in your notes and things is so important because you're not handling taking out that funeral or whatever else. And right it's so it's so different when you come from a di- if you're coming from a smaller place because you're used to being like everything's kind of in your brain but you right. can't do that if you're handling excessive amount of calls like a call a day or whatever else you can't do that
0: no cuz 3 days later when you're 10 12 families in you cannot remember what happened 4 days ago especially right. if you meet with four older ladies and you've met with four Widowers or something like that. You know, they all—they all, the all named Betty. You know, they're all named <laughs> Betty. They all start getting intermixed, and we serve sure. a lot of Dutch families at the one funeral, so it's like Vander this and Vanda this and yeah. Vanda like, and they're all. One week we've we've had it multiple times where we have two people with the exact same name.
1: Oh like my gosh,
0: Betty Vanderveen, you know, or whatever, and it's like okay, we got to get those initials in there and we got to make sure, or, you know, we, it, yeah, it's it's crazy when you have that big, because you do get these weird, ironic coincidences of names going on and you have to really double check spellings and things. It's right. crazy.
1: Right. Yeah. It's so interesting. And even coming from our size funeral home, I think there's going to be a trend and I wanted to get your opinion on this towards more of like the trade work where people are gonna be coming in to even like not the largest funeral homes because I don't know if there's less people or less quality funeral directors or what exactly it is, or maybe from a business point of view, if, if you own a funeral home, it maybe doesn't make sense to have eight funeral directors on staff if you have two calls coming in one week and then 28 the next I'm exaggerating, right. but you know what I'm saying. I think exactly. there possibly could be a trend Towards that, what are your thoughts um, on that maybe for the future?
0: Well, one thing I I see is could be a potential, and I think we saw this during COVID, where we were not making arrangements in person as much. We were having to be forced to do them remotely, is that you could hire me as an on-call person for your funeral home. And when you have someone that you're working with remotely, and I don't know how often you see it there. And maybe Mm -hmm. it's just because I see it from a high volume funeral home Mm -hmm. that we get the grandkids are in Colorado and they're not coming to town to take care of grandma. So you're doing everything remotely. And I am at least once a week, we're having this. That's 52 calls a year, at least that are fully remote. If not, more especially if you run these online direct cremation through your funeral home as well remote does not mean less work no. <laughs> you got to make you got to do emails, you know you got to do paperwork you're you're chasing you're making sure things come through and um you can hire somebody that's anywhere to handle that as long as like michigan we don't have to be a licensed director to do contracts
1: Or anything,
0: so you can hire somebody to just be an arranger to make arrangements, and it's all legal. And so, that is a component I see that could happen where one person could farm themselves out or be available to work for multiple different funeral homes doing their remote services. Yeah, I mean, it's a great business model that. Be potential. It just depends on the state and the legality and things like that. I've seen on Indeed, because I always keep an eye on Indeed and like, you know, schools that are hiring different things and kind of what's out there. And there's quite a few remote positions for arrangers in like California and stuff, but they want you to be in. I'm like, how are you remote? But you want the person to also be there. So you're working from home, but you're in the town that the facility is, which doesn't make sense. Like if you're going to be remote, you can anywhere. So I see that as being something that could be done because I sometimes will spend triple the time on a remote call for a direct cremation than I do on a full service call that I'm dealing with in person. So I could see that as being something that would be beneficial to some funeral homes.
1: I definitely think so. And there could be, I mean, Potentially down the road, there could be a company one day that would do that, where they right. have a team of, right. hey, these are our funeral directors, and you could hire that company to kind of use them at your own discretion sort of deal. That, that's a really interesting right. concept, and I think it's a possibility for sure.
0: Patent pending for Carrie Northey. I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go to business together. No, I love it. That's, <laughs>
0: know, that's, seriously. Really,
1: that's, a, that's a really interesting idea. What would you say uh, your favorite part of funeral services overall? I know you do mostly arranging now, but I'm I'm assuming back when, back before you did that, you would maybe do, uh, because a lot of your videos are prep work too. So what would you say your favorite part is overall typically?
0: I I like that there's variety. I mean, you do. Some days you come in and I am stoked to meet with families. I am super excited to get immersed in their stories and, what they're yeah. doing and there's days I come in and I don't want to speak to anybody. You know, <laughs> I want to look like I do like right now. I don't know if you're doing video or for we're, we're strict podcasts, but like I got up this morning, I work out, I throw on a stocking cap when I get up in the morning, I have shorter, crazy hair. I always work out with stocking cap and I've just been working in the office and here I am doing a podcast. So there's days I can wear, look, look like good. this look throw on sweatpants, and I can go in and I can prep and it doesn't right. matter. Cause right. nobody's going to see me. Yeah. I can wear whatever crazy ensemble I want and do whatever I want. Here I am. And so some of the best days. <laughs> you know, and so it really just I think there's that ebb and flow of when you're having a bad day, you can be like, Can I work in prep today and just go work and prep and just right. methodically go through your stuff and it's silent and you don't have to deal with any living mm-hmm. person. So I think I like that, but I also do like That continuity of following people through everything, being their person through the whole process, like getting invited to family reunions that they have down the road because you were their person for so much and um, getting thank you cards. And I think feeling like you did your job really well, that they recognize how important of a role you played with them. There's so much negativity when it comes to being female directors in the media and with people and so much distress. And you can tell families when they come in and they sit down and you know, they're like waiting for you. They're just waiting for you to like try and oversell them, try and undercut them, try and be that bad person. They believe that you're going to be. And so when you kind of, bring them into the good side of funeral directing, it's like a good win for yeah. you know you to be able to do that. So I ramble in my answers, too. Sorry. No, I
1: like it. And I think that's really what you do with your channel. Like you try to show people like, hey, this is not the, the way people perceive it is not exactly what it is. And I think I'm I'm pretty sure that's one of your goals is to kind of bring people aware to. Hey, we are doing like some very significant, very special work for families and people that don't see that can kind of open up their eyes and be like, "Oh, wow, this is actually like a meaningful thing that funeral directors are doing every single day." It's exhausting too, so it's like,
0: it it, it is, is exhausting. exhausting. You know, it's <laughs> you can only fight so much of a battle because media is a larger presence than I I will ever be in my thing. But if I can flip a few people along the way and educate. I get so many emails about, I've been watching you for two or three years and my mom dad, and I went in and I knew exactly what questions to ask. Yeah. I knew what I wanted. We had had the conversations because my mom watched your channel or whatever it is. And it's I've had funeral directors say to me, why are you telling all our secrets? I'm like, what secrets am I telling? There's no, right. if you what? have a secret, you're doing something wrong. If you are doing something you don't want the public to know, you are doing something wrong. If somebody can not come in and watch what you're doing and you feel like it needs to be hidden, you are doing something wrong. And that's why I did, I do a series, it's called Naughty Funeral Homes, and it came from a random thing I said once during the live, and I got laughing so hard when I said, that's naughty and so people started like <laughs> commenting it back to me like that's naughty and so I got a t-shirt that said that's naughty and I do a series on right. naughty funeral right. homes and like telling these stories because there are naughty funeral homes and there are people who do bad illegal things mm-hmm. it's not the norm though when there's 19,000 right. funeral homes in right. America and you know there's not you know you got a handful of naughty ones it's not like it's the norm but i think right. it's still good to say we recognize there's bad people. We're not disillusioned to that. So here we are here. We're talking about it. Let's talk. And there's that video on YouTube that people keep sharing. And I'm like, don't share it. Sharing brings it up in algorithms. It's like the 20 things funeral homes don't want you to know, or the 10 things or whatever it is. And it's the dumbest video because And don't go Google it, anybody, please. Um, (laughs) But so I I redid and did the 20 things or the 10 things, I can't remember how many that funeral directors want you to know. And it was basically everything they said, Mm -hmm. but I talked about all of them. And, like, you know, funeral directors don't want you to know that embalming is not really something you have to do. Well, no, you don't have to. It's not, it is not a law in any state that you have to embalm unless you're holding that body extended time or you're having a public viewing and the funeral home requires it, not a law, but it might right. be a requirement. Right. So it's like, yes, but there's caveats to things and there's more explanation than just a yes or no, but no, you don't have to. It's not a right. law. I will say it. I am a funeral director yeah. and it's okay for you to know this. It's not a secret we want to keep, but I think it makes consumers feel empowered, which is great.
1: Right. I think that's part of it. And the crazy thing is when people go off on that tangent, they don't even realize the condition or the state that their loved one could be in. Right. And if they were able to see the transformation that is made right. oftentimes, that that's part of the whole problem is because people right. see it as like, oh, they're just trying to you know, take advantage of me going through a loss. Absolutely not. You should see the work that everyone puts in just to give you like that one last good memory. Like we're trying so hard. And then some people are just like, nope, like you're trying to take advantage. No, we are not.
0: I think it's like any of the conversations that we have encountered in the last two, three years, especially within Mm -hmm. our society, it does not matter what fact, what study what anything you present to some people, they will fight to the death to the statement that they want to believe in. Mm -hmm. You know, I have people, one of my biggest things that people get crazy about is I cannot believe you let blood body fluids or embalming fluid from embalming go down the drain. Like that is one that people just cannot get. Like you are poisoning. me. My response is always, When you throw up, when your finger is bleeding, when you're taking medications and you're defecating, you're urinating, where is it going? It's going in the same source. And so I went to a water treatment facility and I'm like, okay, we're going to do a video here. And we were going to follow things through the whole process. It smelled super great there. Let me tell (laughs) you the fact that in parts per trillion, and I looked at all the reports with the man that runs the place, you could not find formaldehyde in the water at parts per trillion. But what you could find was hormones, medication, mm-hmm. household cleaning chemicals, things yep. that people are dumping down their drains at home. And I present this and I tell people and they're still like, nope, you're poisoning us. I'm like, well, you obviously don't want to hear facts and you don't want to look at reality. It is. They just want to argue against whatever they're, they believe. And that's, you know. To each his own, but you know, these people are probably poisoning our, our society more than any of us are doing what we're doing embalming. So I have no problem with <laughs> what right. I'm doing, putting bodies in the ground and embalming and, and it going down the drain and
1: but Absolutely. yeah, and that was
0: kind of a that was kind of a fun thing though. It was kind of proving to myself that what right. we're doing yeah. is okay.
1: Yeah. Have you ever um, listened to or talked to Ben from Worsham? Oh, he Benjamin,
0: does. I love it. yeah, embalming yeah. yeah, chemicals awesome. in the wild. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: That's what I was just gonna say. Yeah. He does the chemicals in the wild, and it's like, yeah. hey, these are everyday chemicals that people are using yeah. left and right, all over the place. So, it's that it's you're just consuming in food, right? Yeah, food let alone yeah, going down. That's getting treated, and you know the water yeah. plants and everything. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, kind of your YouTube page for a little bit. How did yeah. it get started? How did you get there? Um, what made you even get into it in the first place. And now you have so many people watching you. It's it's such a cool thing. How, how'd you do it?
0: Yeah. So uh, about five years ago, because I think we're at five years, it was in May. It was about five years that I've been posting. And I had left one funeral home and I was kind of in between kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. I, I didn't realize it. I was in a rut. I was kind of burned out from the business because I had been working for not the greatest people The funeral part was great, but the people are not great. That's what I always say about burnout. It's not usually the work, it's the employees. Um, And so I was just kind of doodling around at home, just like trying to figure out what I was doing. And my husband at the time had just worked um, helping to build a pond because he did landscaping, pond building and stuff for um, one of the Pauls, the whatever, the crazy Paul brothers from YouTube. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. why don't you do a YouTube something? And I'm like, that sounds weird. And he's like, well, why don't you go on Facebook? Just ask like, what do people want to know about being a funeral director or funerals? And so on my personal Facebook, I just asked the question. I got like 15 questions from family and friends and I did a Facebook live for each of them. And I remember going live that first time and you watch the number of how many people are watching you. And it was like, oh my God, I can't stop this in the middle. Like this is live and this is happening. It was terrifying. So about 12 in, I was more comfortable, but then I started (laughs) having people saying, Hey, I want to share this with my mom. Hey, I want to share this with so-and-so. And And I was like, well, I don't want to, you know, just have my Facebook public. So I figured out how to put them on YouTube and just like posted them. Well, then I started getting comments and I got like a hundred subscribers and I was like, 100 cool. subscribers, cool. like this is crazy. And then I remember being a thousand and it was like, I took pictures and I'm drinking champagne. Like I was so <laughs> like, that was crazy. So there was never any intention of being a YouTuber. And right. I think until I hit a hundred thousand, I still felt like a dork for saying I'm a YouTuber. But at about 50,000, I was like, well, I'm kind of legit at this point, at I'm least just- to a certain and now being at 100, and I think I'm at 108,000, I'm like, yeah. well, I guess I am pretty legit, <laughs> but I still feel like nobody knows that I'm there. So it's just one of yeah. those, yeah. Uh, you know, hard to have the realization of the scope of what that is sure. truly. Yeah. Um, and so it just grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it is really consumers that are watching for the most part. Yeah, my yeah. algorithm is about fifty-fifty with men to women. Fifty okay. to eighty age range is is really my prime age range. Really, okay. And the crazy thing about my channel, so on YouTube, three to four minutes is the average watch time. Okay. On my channel, it's about six to seven minutes. And when you factor in that half of my videos are only two minutes long, that means people are watching, you know, 10 plus minutes of my longer Mm -hmm. videos. So that says people want to know what I'm saying. Like there is such a strong desire to understand or expel um, fears about what we do. And I have so many, like when I say I get hundreds of emails a week, it's not an exaggeration. And I respond to every single email. So that's a huge part of doing that job. I feel like is response. I try to respond to every comment on my channel, which is hundreds. And so I get a really big understanding of consumers in a huge general scope. So my vantage point on our funeral industry is specifically unique. And no one else has that. There's nobody else who has quite the scope that I do. And I see how many people don't have connections with the funeral directors they work with. They can't Mm -hmm. ask them questions. They feel like they can't ask them questions because they don't have a relationship with them. There's people who have carried questions 30, 40, 50 years in their life, and they've never had anybody to ask it to, And they ask it, there's one woman, oh my God, it was so powerful. She said, my mother buried my dad 33 years ago. Uh He has been gone forever. And she has been in unrest since because of this blah, blah, blah.
1: Okay. We
0: watched your video on whatever it was. Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. is at peace now. Because she has an answer to the question she didn't have anybody ask. And I'm like, holy crap, 30-some I mean, years heart, that she has like, carried this. right? But this right. Is, there's thousands of those people. And if you ask mm-hmm. a funeral director, every single one will be like, I connected with that family. Every family I connect with and I have, they can ask me anything. But do you give them permission? Like when you make arrangements, oh, do you say, right. if you have a question during this, please ask it if you want anything changed with your loved one, there is time and you have permission to do that because people don't think they can touch their loved one. People don't think they can change anything. People don't think there is time and opportunity. And after the fact, they are going to be talking about how you put the wrong shade of lipstick on their mom. And that will be the one defining thing about that funeral. It doesn't matter if you did a hundred great things, but you got that wrong. And you didn't allow them, give them permission to correct it. When we all know that's simple to correct. We
1: right, all know exactly. that could be
0: done in just minutes. But if that family didn't understand that that could be done, I think we forget as funeral directors that families don't know this business. A lot of families are just encountering it for the first time, where maybe the generation that they dealt with, let's say their grandparents died and they were, you know, buried, but they didn't partake in that because it was a grandparent. Now their parents are dying and it's a completely different, it's cremation or it's something else or whatever. And it's a completely different beast that they're dealing with essentially. And they don't have any perspective as to what that should look like for themselves. And they don't realize they could have a viewing followed by cremation or they don't, you know, I always say, you don't know what you don't know. And these consumers don't know. They yeah. have no concept. And but because we've been doing this, we don't have a concept of unknowing. Does it's that like make the sense? Vision.
1: No, it, it definitely does. It is. And I think it it's is. such like a, oh my gosh, amazing thing for people to hear and myself included, just take a step back and see like, they don't know the ins and outs like we do. No. So give them permission to open up let them let them come in and actually feel comfortable with you and then it's guaranteed success because if like a small mistake like you were saying like if the the shade of rouge was wrong or whatever it is they can come in and be like hey do you mind just like touching this up is there anything you can do and that way it's there's not a sour taste And from a funeral director's point of view, their family wants to come back to you because they felt comfortable in that way. That's so beautiful. That's so great. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. (laughs)
0: Well, and it's so simple. Like it's just, it's the simplicity of giving permission and like talking through, um, I do some continuing ed stuff with New York and New Jersey and did some with Wilbur and Mm -hmm. like just, allowing families to know what visitation, like prepping them for visitation, like people are going to say things that are hurtful, but it doesn't, they're not trying to hurt you. They love you and they're there, but nobody knows what to say during this. And just like planting these little seeds with families. I think sometimes we become just order takers and we expect families to know what they want But how do they know what the options are if we have not provided information to them? Because putting down a price list that has 187 different things on it, broken down in 27 different ways, they look at it and go, well, we don't want a limo. Like how many times (laughs) do I show a family and they sit and they cross off everything they don't want, but they don't realize looking at things, what it is they do want or what they could be having, I guess. And And so giving
1: them the options to do that.
0: Yeah. Like people, direct cremation is not a disposition. It's a service choice. And we get really confused, right. I think, as directors by that. And families yeah. are confused by that because they think if they do cremation, that there's only one path or there's only one thing and right. they can't do anything beyond that. So there's like, so no, many lay out I can
1: lay out these choices for them that they can say, hey, we can commemorate them in a different way than we even thought was possible. And it's just such a good point because families will come in and I was, you can say, you know, we could still have an open casket viewing and they'd be blown away. They'd be like, oh, we would love to see them one last time. But they didn't realize, well, she really wanted cremation. So I guess that's the only thing we can do. No, it's just, just opening people's eyes. It's, it's a wonderful thing.
0: Well, and how many families do you sit down by the, they come, like the person died at like 2 a.m. You sit down with them at like 11 a.m. And they go, so they've been cremated, right? And you're like, <laughs> wow. Um, oh, no. But that is what consumers believe. And we want to laugh and go, God, how stupid are they? How would they know different? No, They assume you. if you say cremation, you are taking them back and throwing them in the retort. That right. is truly what they believe. Yeah. That just by verbally saying, yep, go ahead. And they just don't know any different. And I think we... Yeah like to make fun of the ignorance of consumers mm-hmm. because we have not taken the time to educate them properly. And, sure. you know, it's easier to make fun of the lack of knowledge that they have than to actually spend time filling them with knowledge, I guess, sometimes. So. And that's really what you
1: do. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yes. And I think it needs yeah. to continue that way. And I think it's such a powerful thing for funeral directors to kind of hear and to actually act upon and do this with your families. It's a game right. changer. There's no doubt.
0: Right. Well, it's like doing, I think it's part of, you know, we want that full circle when we're dealing with people. We want to go from at need to aftercare to pre back background. Like we want that full circle. And some of that is in that pre need stage, just doing educational, you know, gatherings like, Hey, let's have coffee and donuts. And let's talk about, cremation and let people just ask questions about cremation people want to know yes and they want the opportunity to ask and yeah it might be some of that not graphic but Mm -hmm. well does that body really set up does this happen does that happen do they really do this does this really because you hear all this stuff and they want to be have their fears pressed away by our good information that we pour in them and they just want an opportunity in a safe and comfortable environment to do that. So if Betty and Mary can come together and they can come ask questions about whatever it is they want to ask questions about, you're giving them that opportunity. So doing like the um, dinner conversations where you, you know, gather some people for dinner or where you do you know, a cremation luncheon, or you do things like that. Those are so important. And there are things that as funeral homes, you can, it's better advertising than a dang billboard, honestly, you know, by really connecting with people during that time, because then they, it's that community outreach that you're doing by then, you know, bringing them back in because just, just because they're in your community doesn't mean they're calling your funeral home. Yep. It's yep. not the way it is anymore. And, and I, yeah, that, really
1: that's that in. was the traditional way for sure yeah. for so long. It's like, hey, we can just plop shop here and call it a day. Like we just we have a great location. Nope, that's just not the case anymore. You have to have the service that goes right. along with it.
0: You got to cultivate relationships, and you got to cultivate um, that consistency with people, and then they you become their person for the family and for all of those needs and for all of those things down the road. And then when they're helping people decide on a place or when, you know, hospice nurses, nurses at the hospital, doctors, all these people have input on things. And if they get warm fuzzies and they get good, um, you know, feelings from different places. They're going to direct people to those. I know that's not legal or things they're supposed to be doing, but they have influence and they have input and it happens. Churches, pastors, those people, they are going to do that. Have a pastor breakfast, bring in a speaker, educate pastors even about burial and cremation and what they can do with their community because we have. I don't know if you guys are seeing this, where there's pastors who are directing their their community oh, yeah. to or the congregation to do direct cremation and cut out the funeral home because you don't need them.
1: Yep, and they could say we could have a visitation here. You know, it's it's right. it's so interesting that that's happening.
0: Bigger relationships build more business, and yep. I think we get grumpy about it. <laughs> <laughs> we get grumpy with the consumers. We get grumpy with the pastors. We get grumpy with the hospice workers because of our egos and all oh, poor us. And it's like, it's oh, like, Hey, maybe. look
1: in, look in, you know, what can I do? Yeah,
0: yeah. Step back and flip the narrative. It can change, but we can't, we have to stop getting grumpy.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you hundred percent. All right. I want to ask you one more question before I'm going to let you go. Okay. Uh, what is the question you get the most from all of your fans? Because I'm I'm sure, I know you get ones about decapitation, like constant, uh, oh the God. pregnancy one. I know I always see you get that. What do you think is the number one that just kind of makes you chuckle? Because it's like, I've gotten this question literally a
0: thousand times now. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's funny you ask this. So I'm developing two more um, continuing ed programs right now. And one okay. of them is literally... About consumer driven questions because I do get such repetitive questions. I'm trying to pull up my list right now um, to read a couple of them. I honestly, the one question I probably get the most on my live videos. So I try and do a couple times a month my coffee with Mm -hmm. Carrie. And that when it's a live video on YouTube, it's not just your followers. You get whoever's on the computer and it pops up. And Um, people will just, you know, they just drop in the questions and it's always the same questions. (laughs) So, uh, a lot of them, um, let's see, exploding caskets. I get asked about a lot. Um, Do you, do I have to be embalmed? A big misconception is that everybody is autopsied and everybody is embalmed. People don't understand They want to know how many body parts the embalmer takes out because they don't see a division between the medical examiner who autopsies and the funeral director who embalms. So it's defining roles. Just like the medical examiner and coroner, people don't understand the difference. Like the difference, they misuse yeah. the yeah. terms like coffin and casket. They misuse yeah. the terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say the number one question I get, which has not ceased over the years, okay. is um. How long does it take? Like my loved one died X number or years ago. What do they look like in the ground? Do they look the same?
1: Interesting. And I think
0: a lot of that is based on hoping that their loved one has not changed. Hoping yeah. that their child, a lot of the time it's a child. Like okay. my son died back in 1996. Mm-hmm. Is he looking the same? And so, and I, there is no answer. There are hundreds of factors. What part of the country? Is it a flexing, um, you know, climate? Does it go from cold to hot? Is it a high water table? What kind of vault? What kind of casket? What kind of medication was the person on before they died? Because that affects embalming. I'm like, you could take two 40 year old women, both having died of breast cancer, You could put them in the same casket, in the same vault, theoretically doing the same embalming in two years from now could look completely different because of medication they were taking, all sorts of different things. So there is no answer. And people hate that. But and if anybody, I swear to Jesus, if a funeral director gives an answer to that, they're full of crap. Because there is no way to answer that. So when people say, well, the funeral director told us that my loved one was going to be in perfect condition because they were preserved. Embalming is a temporary preservation, temporary. As soon as that body gets into a moisture filled zone, which is what dirt is. Yeah. Embalming or just decomposition exasperates and goes fast again. Like, come on, people! I, you know, we don't need to sell crap just to. I mean, there's funeral directors who are going to do that, but these people are so misguided by what funeral yeah. directors tell them. We can't stop it; it's going to happen. You got people mm. who are commission based, and you got people who are whatever. I will never ever do that because it's the raw ro- like that. If we want clear education, we have to give clear, good answers. Yes, and we're yes. just miss. Representing ourselves and misinforming the next generation of people by giving them crap. So, you can't yeah. answer that question, but it is the number one thing people always ask me. And there's no strange. answer. I've done, I can't even tell you how many videos. I've done two minute videos, I've done five minute videos, I've done long videos. I answer it in every coffee chat because people just want to know and there's no answer. But, and then, yeah, and then you true.
1: should just say, well, if Carrie did the embalming, I could give you a better answer, but <laughs> uh,
0: there's no way there's I'm no kidding. way I'm because I'm yeah, you got tissue gas, you got, oh my gosh, there's so many variables. That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. ridiculous. It is. It is. Yeah. And
1: it's good that people can like, at least be aware that it's, it's going right. to be different. And there's no way to possibly tell. And, uh, yeah. even seeing disinterments. They vary unbelievably. So oh it's God. just, there's, there's nothing you yeah. can really do.
0: Like, well, what about this one? Because they dug them up after 30 years and they looked great. Yeah. I said, the the factor here is we don't dig people up all the time. I don't know if right. caskets are exploding all the time underground because we're underground. not digging them up to look. I'm like, exactly. it's an unseen territory down there, guys. Like, I don't, n- nobody can know. Only right. if you and, did yeah. like- If you buried a thousand people and then disinterred them all after whatever, and then did maybe a bit of a study on that, but you would have so many variables based on age, condition of the body, cause of death, medication, like medications to us, I think as embalmers is such the big factor right now. They neutralize themselves and Yep. I mean, we've we've now got the vaccines. We've got all these other factors that are and factoring then, in, which the, nobody wants to talk about, but it is a factor. Um, and the, and so, the
1: edema and jaundice—it's—it it, oh seems like it's getting out of control. Like it's constant. What yep. you're having to deal with and overcome, and it's just a right. whole nother factor that you're like. Back in the day, I feel you could you could add your fluids. This is my combo. This is what I go right. with every time. Nope, right. you can't do that anymore. It's not the way. It's not the way. Well,
0: and I talk about how people are dead before they're dead. And people are like, Carrie, you talked about this before. Could you talk about it again? And I'm like, when I get uh, Betty, Betty's dead a lot today is from this conversation. (laughs) I'm like, when I get Betty and Betty died literally an hour ago, and she is fresh and warm. As we all use those terms, you can't tell me you don't.
1: No, I do. And
0: she has an abdomen that is greener than some five-day-old decomps. Mm-hmm. She has been dying inside for days, and it's Absolutely. because we're we between medications and things that happen. Bodies and are being and going yep. and things
1: mm-hmm.
0: where parts of them have died. They're getting necrotic. They're rotting. They're just they're bad, and we cannot well well mom died and you had her within an hour why is she so it's because she was dead long before she was dead like right. it's it's a reality and i think that has become more and more and like you said edema you know when they're being kept on respirators or ventilators or this longevity of hospital stays that we're seeing more now we're getting yep. all that yep. edema and medication pumping and things that are happening at hospitals just out of you know necessity or whatever. And that right. just factors in a lot. And just
1: to hold on for like a couple extra days is really probably right. what it comes down to. And then it changes everything on our end. So right. you have to be you have to be aware of that, recognize it and say, OK, that's not going to change for better, for worse for us. So it's like, what are we going to do to counteract that and make sure that we do our best job possible?
0: Right. Sarah's flying in from California and she can't come until it's, you know, going to work with her schedule and her thing. So we're going to, can you just hold that body for six weeks? And then we're going to have a viewing. And I don't understand why you can't have a viewing. And (laughs) are you seeing that more and more?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, especially since COVID started, it's gotten way out of control because people are like, oh, well, someone someone passed away and someone in our family has COVID. We want to make sure that they see them. So we have to wait at least two, three weeks. And now it's kind of become normal place where it's like, oh, we did this with so-and-so or I knew my family member so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. They hold on to you for... For four weeks because of this and that, so it's definitely on the rise. So it's it's craziness. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> well, dad's face is now peeling off because he is <laughs> decomposed so badly, and we can't get any cosmetic to stick because it's oh, all off. Well, I don't understand. You embalmed, right? Ooh.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. It's too good. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Carrie, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so so much for coming on. You're the absolute best. We appreciate everything you you do and keep doing what you're doing and bringing all this joy and love to our industry. You are just the best. We appreciate you. Oh,
0: thank you. Yeah, I'll have to come see you in Chicago sometime. Yes,
1: I love it. Highly encouraged. All right, well, you have a great day. Thank you so much, Carrie.